Blockchain Chatter, presented by Tier 1 People, leaders in fintech executive search. I'm your host, Dexter Cousins. Welcome to Blockchain Chatter, my new show where blockchain leaders join me for a chat. It seems a little crazy to start a blockchain podcast the week after the FTX collapse. So why have I done it? Well, I think there's never been a more important time to provide a platform for the builders in this space. Too much attention and focus has been given to crypto influencers and noisemakers. So Blockchain Chatter aims to cut through the noise and give outstanding leaders the opportunity to talk about their business, the big problem they solve, and how blockchain and emerging technology can become the operating system of a fairer, safer, and more efficient world. To kick off the show, I couldn't think of a better person who embodies the spirit of what this is all about. Today's guest is Chloe White, the CEO of Genesis Block. Chloe is Blockchain Leader of the Year and has worked directly on blockchain policy since 2018. Chloe's going to join me today to talk about the current state of the industry following last week's collapse of FTX, and more importantly, how we can re- regroup and what the future holds. Chloe, good to see you again. Good to see you too. Is it a dream of mine that we were in Singapore nine days ago recording blockchain news and were so optimistic and buoyant and energized by what this industry was about The emotional whiplash is real. (laughs) It feels like a bad dream that I just wish I could wake up from. But um, every day, um, you know, we get more news about what exactly has happened um, with FTX and Alameda. Um, So we'll have to wait and see how the full story unfolds. But it's been a very difficult week for the community. Um, Well, first of all, you know, I think both you and I, want to say if there's anybody out there who having a tough time and they need somebody to speak to and they want to reach out, look, I think not just you and I, but there's plenty of others in this space who want to try and help as much as we can. And, you know, I think it is a time for solidarity and our thoughts go out to anybody who's, who's been impacted in this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there've been a lot of financial losses in the community and also a lot of emotional pain. Um, the community is going through some grief at the moment and it's going to take a little bit of while of time for that to clear through the system. And so it's really important to reach out for support. Yeah. Um, well, look, I, I guess, you know, it would be yeah, great to, to have a chat with you just about your thoughts on, on what has happened with um, FTX and Alameda um, and then look, we'll, we'll kind of talk through, I guess, you know, where we go from here a little bit later, but there's been a lot of explanations out there. What, what, what kind of, how would you explain it? What have, what have you found out about what's kind of transpired over this last you know, six months or so? So it seems to be the case that Sam Bankman-Fried um, was a deeply fraudulent um, person and um, has really done um, quite poorly by the community and particularly by his investors and customers. Um, clearly, there has been some mixing of the balance sheet of his exchange FTX and his trading fund Alameda. Um, it's a little bit unclear exactly all of the details of how he was able to perpetuate this fraud um, and over what period of time. Um, but at the moment, it looks like um, it's going to take quite some time for customers to get any assets back, um, given that there are now Chapter 11 proceedings undertaken in the US. Um, and in the case of FTX Australia, receivers have been appointed um, for that entity. So I suppose that, um, you know, this this week's uh, news has come as quite a shock to people. This is not the first time that we've seen a centralized exchange fail or rug pull. Um, 
there have been incidents of this in Australia and internationally, and, and the community has known that this is a risk with centralised exchanges for a long time. I think what has taken people by surprise this week has been the speed and scale at which FTX grew, given that it was a fraudulent mm. operation, um, and also a sense of betrayal. Um, the fact that Sam himself represented the industry in Washington and in Hollywood and was seen giving testimony in Congress about um, the the benefits of regulation as well. Um, it, he's, I think, the, you know, the Bernie Madoff of, yeah. of crypto in that respect where he was someone who held these positions of influence and power and was embedded in um, political and policy discourse in a very deep way. And so this is different to some of the other famous exchange failures that we've seen. And um, a lot of people have been comparing it to Mt. Gox. And, and there have been other events such as Terra Luna and, and 3AC. But uh, this one has has hit the community differently because of that sense of betrayal. Mm. Um, and I suppose the fact that there were a lot of retail investors that had been exposed who were not necessarily, um, you know, just crypto OGs or people who were kind of deep into smart contracts and, and that sort of thing. So um, I think that's kind of adding to people's anger um, and, and confusion and wanting to understand, you know, how did this possibly happen and, and what kind of faith can they have in the industry mm. going forward? So um, that chat that you and I had on blockchain news, um, we we covered regulators and we covered crypto exchanges and Singapore made it really very clear that they were supportive of blockchain technology, distributed ledger technology, could see great use cases for things like payments, um, but were, I guess, against you know crypto exchanges and speculation and, and trading of cryptocurrencies. I'm assuming pretty much every other government's probably going to be taking the same mindset as the Singaporean government, how does does the industry kind of come back from this? And and can how do we educate regulators on the difference between a centralized exchange and decentralization, which is really what this technology is all about? That's a really important point. And I think one of the things that has been driving so much fear in the community in the last week is that regulators and policymakers are not sufficiently educated about what is the difference between what they call CFI and DeFi. Um, and a lot of the regulation that has been worked on around the world so far, um, like the MICA policy in the EU, for example, it has been focused on CFI, the centralized entities in the space. Um, and so the concern is that all of crypto gets lumped under one label um, and then everybody gets punished, even if those risks are not relevant across every product or service um, out of a feeling of pressure um, and, and a sense of urgency that we could throw the baby out with the bathwater yeah. essentially. And so it, coming back to the example of MICA, that has already passed parliament in the EU, but we know that European policymakers are continuing to look at issues in the industry, MICA is not where policy development ends. And so we can expect that there will be more scrutiny applied to whether there needs to be more regulations or changes to regulations in response to this. Um, I think that we're certainly going to see a reaction out of the US and other jurisdictions as well. Um, but different jurisdictions are at very different points of their policy journey. Um, you know, some have done very little work and some have already um, released regulations and guidance. And so I think that it's going to be really important for the industry to cooperate and to go through that education process with policymakers to show them that the technology can actually be leveraged as part of the solution. Um, and that also not all crypto is equal. Um, there are areas of crypto that uh, we know face risks of uh, the kind of failure that we saw with FTX because of the opacity of centralized entities. Um, and so in the case of something like a, a DeFi exchange, a decentralized exchange, those have all been operating um, very well throughout this crisis. There's not, um, 
it's not the same to have a bank run on a centralized exchange um, as you would have on um, a, of something like Uniswap. It's extra, it's incredibly different in nature, and the unfortunate challenge that the industry will face is in getting policymakers and regulators who are not informed to sit and spend the time with them and to actually learn and listen to all of this nuance at a time where they may want a quick result and may be tempted to come down with a sledge rather than a chisel. So um, it's, I think, one of the primary concerns that's been driving a lot of fear at a grassroots level. Um, I've gotten some feedback from builders, founders um, who have, you know, small projects and small startups may have only done one or two rounds of, of fundraising and, and they're very scared. Mm. Um, and some of them have also suffered their own losses yeah. as well. So they're trying to figure out how to manage runway and treasury um, and also worried about whether they'll be able to continue operations um, if there is a severe regulatory backlash. Um, so, you know, this is, this is palpable at the moment um, and there's a lot of discussion going on in the industry about um, asking that question of how do we educate policymakers appropriately? And in my experience, Dexter, this is something that the industry has struggled to do yeah. all through its life. Um, and, and, you know, in the US, we've seen there's been a lot more investment into educating policymakers in recent years. But unfortunately, Sam himself was responsible for a lot of that. Um, and so, you know, this really does pose a massive challenge yeah. to the sector. Some wild conspiracy theories gone around about FBI CIA, you know, bringing, <laughs> planted to bring down the industry. Um, my, my kind of thoughts on that is that, uh, you know, the governments can't even organize paying bills on time. So I can't understand how they can pull off such complex things like this. Um, but what, what, what do you kind of think is, you know, is is has been the the trigger for this because it's not just what's happened at FTX. You mentioned there, you know, three AC. We had Luna as well. You kind of there's been a lot of questions asked around VC and their involvement as well. Where where, where do you think the kind of you know, not the blame but the catalyst lies for you know what what I would say is a kind of you know on a par when I look at. The actual events um, is the GFC. It's obviously not on a par for the impact that it had. That was global, but I think within the community and the, the ecosystem of of crypto, I think it's every bit as damaging as as what the GFC was. In the context of crypto, I think that's a very fair comparison. Um, I got together with a group of friends over the weekend to watch The Big Short yeah. again, which was one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. Um, so my that's, first job. That's, that's what I've said to people. What happened at FTX? Watch The Big Short. Watch Margin Call. Oh, there's right? so many good lines in the movie, and they're so relevant um, to to this week's events. Um, the first job I had in my career was as a receiver in the global financial crisis, um, working on a liquidation of a company that had failed at that time, and it really was a formative experience for me. It left quite an impression. Um, seeing the impact on everyday people yeah. um, and week by week watching um, one disaster after another, you know, from Bear to Lehman and, you know, the the economy has really never been the same. Mm. Um, the, the scale of losses um, that occurred in the GFC are orders of magnitude greater in terms of absolute numbers yeah. of um, money lost and jobs lost and things like that. The crypto industry is a very small part of, of the financial market and, and the blockchain industry spans other industries other than finance. So in, in terms of what the mainstream financial community um, or population would be thinking about the FTX collapse, it feels like Armageddon to people who yeah. are inside the industry. Um, but the reaction from outsiders has been, oh, okay, another exchange has failed. And, and I think, again, coming back to those cultural factors and the sense of betrayal and um, the, the cultural impact that Sam and FTX had on the industry, they may not fully appreciate um, what this feels like to people on the inside. Um, so, you know, perhaps some small comfort for people in the community is um, we, we know this is a really big deal for us, but it doesn't necessarily mean that people looking on are, see, are saying um, this is the end of crypto or this is mm -hmm. the end of the industry. Some people have rightfully pointed out that um, as stunning as Madoff was, that wasn't the yeah. end of 
of asset management or investing. So um, neither will the FTX tragedy be the end of crypto or be the end of, of trading or exchanges, but um, it certainly is a setback. I think we can't deny that it's going to it's mm. going to be a long, hard road to rebuilding. Um, and we what we need to do is understand um, how we can educate people about risk and how we can elevate, um, I think, more risk appropriate um, ways of running businesses and and investing is very it's very hard because you can't give people advice easily about this issue as an expert. Um, if you're an expert, it's probably because you are licensed as a financial advisor or you have director's duties or you are a government official, for example, and those people can't freely speak publicly about a lot of the risks yeah. in this space. Um, you know, for me personally, like I often look at an asset like FTT and go, well, why the hell would anybody want to invest yeah. in that? Um, you know, and but I can't publicly be tweeting or saying things on LinkedIn along those lines. I can now because it's gone to zero, but yeah. I, I can't say that at the time because, you know, I've, I've been in government for a decade, um, you know, or it, it may make me, a, a give, it may give people the impression that I'm biased or something like that. So, you know, I see a lot of people making terrible decisions, but I can't, the only way I can really um, advise anyone is if a, a private institution comes to me for consulting mm. services and then I can yeah. tell them behind closed doors, but I can't publicly say a lot of these things. And, and I think there's a lot of people in the industry who do have expertise, but their hands are tied the same yeah. as mine would be. And so, you know, that, how do you solve that problem? Um, you know, that's, that's going to take a lot of time. I think in the US, um, you know, the authorities there have said, they want to do more um, proactive education. Um, and they're not the only jurisdiction who's looking at that. The way this has um, been discussed in Australia is um, Blockchain Australia um, in, the, in the Senate inquiry, I worked with Blockchain Australia and some industry leaders to put together a recommendation for the Senate that um, the AFSL regime should be reviewed in the context of crypto. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, that was one of the few recommendations that Blockchain Australia made that actually was not accepted by the Senate committee. Um, and so there's a gap in Australia um, and a gap in, in virtually every jurisdiction on this issue. And there's no clear um, solution at the moment. Um, I don't know if perhaps the government would be more inclined to revisit that policy recommendation now. Um, we've got a Labor government now um, and it was a Liberal senator who led that inquiry. So, you know, they may be more inclined to want to revisit some of their approach now, yeah. um, but, you know, at this point in time, I think it's very tricky because people have turned to social media and influencers who don't necessarily disclose um, their financial conflicts of interest um, or their bias or may not be qualified. Um, I'd, I'd, and I'd, 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 I'd also question on them as well, Chloe, like, where does their information and research come from? Because I know that they're not speaking oh, to any of the people yeah. in my network, right, who are like experts and who are speaking to regulators, lawyers, right? They're speaking to the people that are actually building this stuff, right? And I think yeah. this is one of the issues is, you know, people are self-proclaimed educators who are nothing more than just, you know, shilling tokens and, mm. you know, it's it. And, and I think like that's one side to it. And then I think the other side that we've got is, and it's always been a challenge, you know, I think is, well, what actually are these things, right? From an investment perspective, if I'm buying tokens, do I have shares in the, this project, you know, or are they just something that has really no value that is sold on a secondary market to the greater pool theory? And I think this is kind of where, um, you know, the regulators and the industry have to get together. And if you know, we you look at a lot of the stuff that's happened over the last twelve, eighteen months, and literally with airdrops, and you know, the, the, it's created just pump and dump schemes for VC to get a very quick exit using retail as the exit liquidity. And if this was, you know, if this was any other business, these people would be in jail. And I think this is kind of where, you know, the, the, the kind of challenges that we've now got are how do we get back to the original promise of what this was about, which was actually in response to the big short 
and in response of all that behavior. And it's kind of, we created this mini construct of that whole thing all over again. How do, how do you think we kind of get back to like, what is the essence of what we're doing? What is the purpose of it? And how do we ensure that people are actually living by that mission, which I think was, it was to create a fairer world, right? For everybody. And what we're talking about, none of it seems fair. It really doesn't seem fair at all. Um, when we were at the the Singapore FinTech Festival last week. Um, it was, it wasn't last the, week. It was about a year ago. I'm sure. It was about a year ago. Um, <laughs> one of the comments that I made on the panel um, about institutional investing is that um, we need to have better valuation models in the industry. Um, and I think some leadership on this may end up coming from institutions because when you look at the, the data and the surveys on institutions that haven't yet allocated to crypto, uh, one of the top reasons that they cite as to why they're not investing in crypto is because of the lack of valuation models. Mm. And so, you know, we as people who understand the industry deeply would know that a Bitcoin is not the same as an Ethereum, which is not the same as a Dogecoin, which is not the same as a stablecoin. But if you don't understand the nuance of how these tokens are constructed, what their mechanics are, what are the, you know, the buy and sell pressures on them, where do they come from and, and what are they used for? Do they represent um, equity? Do they represent something else? Um, you know, that's something that does require expertise. And on the outside, you know, again, the impression is, well, if it's, if it's mostly um, Bitcoin and Ethereum and it's, you know, some kind of weird pseudo equity or weird, you know, funny internet money, it all must be garbage. If it was a real asset, it would be a traditional asset. Um, and so, of course, you know, that's, that's a, a terribly missed opportunity for someone who's going to write off the entire crypto space. But um, unless institutions are incentivized to work on those valuation models that build all that nuance in, I don't know who is going to be incentivized to do it. Um, and so, as you said, what that leaves us with is a space where unqualified and biased and conflicted influences are unfortunately um, lining their own mm. pockets with retail money. And you've also mentioned, Dexter, the the sort of exit liquidity scam where people basically build tokens just to dump them on retail, um, again, lining their own pockets and, and not necessarily um, building things of value. So, you know, these are massive um, risks for people. And then when on top of that, they go and trust their assets with an unregulated or unlicensed yeah. firm or a firm that is poorly regulated. I, you know, I've gone and reviewed the legislation in the Bahamas that applied to FTX International and where all of this was going on and FTX and Alameda have been based out of the Bahamas since last year. It was super thin and yeah. you can go and see on the Bahamas Securities Commission website, there was, you know, a handful of pages of regulation that applied um, to FTX and um, there was nothing in there about, you know, them re being required to have a board or, um, you know, there's no real stipulations around um, wallets or on-chain supervision or custody of assets, prudential, capital, collateral, um, you know, a lot of these governance and, um, crypto native issues as well that are just ignored. Um, you know, the legislation essentially just says you've got to submit a business plan that has some financial forecasts. You've got to, you know, appoint um, a compliance person, register with us, and then, you know, send us your, your financial statements. Um, well, FTX was audited and the auditors missed um, the fraud that was going on. Um, you know, so this kind of gives us a bit of an indication about where the gaps are mm. in the regulatory discussion. Um, but I think that, you know, if you look at this supply chain of risks that is posed to a consumer from token issuance through to distribution, through to custody, those are so many different pit, pit, uh, pitfalls that anyone yeah. could fall into at any time. So it's, it really is quite risky. Right. So look, I want to kind of try and, um, look at the, at the future now and you know, take some positives from this. One of the big positives for me is that Bitcoin has just kept on doing what Bitcoin does throughout this whole period. And let's not talk about how it's pegged against the US dollar. Let's just talk about the fact that, you know, as a system, it's kind of, 
I don't want to say faultless, but it's pretty impressive how it's just kept on doing what it does. Every disaster that the industry has faced and is facing now makes Bitcoin look better and better. Uh, People call it the adult in the room of crypto. Um, It does what it says on the box. It's reliable. Um, And, you know, it's something that if you... Uh, if you really look and see how brilliant it is in terms of its design and its simplicity and what it does, um, its transparency as well, the fact that it is truly decentralized, uh, you know, it, it really provides a really solid foundation for then understanding what are the trade-offs that other projects have made in designing their tokens and what the purpose of their tokens are that are different. So I agree with you, Dexter. I think, um, you know, Bitcoin Bitcoin is, uh, you know, people say honey badger don't care. Bitcoin just keeps producing yeah. those blocks every 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, I think one of the other things that we're going to see, and I've seen this kind of post GFC, um, whilst unfortunately pe- people did lose their jobs, there was also a lot of job creation, particularly around risk compliance and, um, you know, the putting in, I guess, the, the, you know, the measures and the processes and the systems and the technology to make sure that this didn't happen again, as well as the education piece. Um, we've talked a lot about, you know, the issues around um, exchanges as- acting as custodians, and I can't help but think that now this is an opportunity for banks to now pr- to start to provide the off-ramps and the on-ramps, which I think has been one of the biggest issues that we've had for adoption. We've been guilty as an industry of, you know, thinking that CX doesn't matter and user experience doesn't matter. <laughs> These things are, are pivotal in order to, to make this, a, you know, a, I guess, to go mainstream. What, what do you see as being the kind of areas where you think if there are going to be opportunities out of this that, um, you know, we can focus our, our time and our energy and it's going to be worthwhile? I think aside from that um, education piece that we discussed and and engaging constructively in policy discourse, I think you're right. Um, Trust has been broken. Confidence is low. And so um, a bank, for example, if it does have a trusted brand, has an opportunity there to to start providing products and services to the market. And also, as we've discussed, um, some of these properly decentralized and valuable projects and protocols um, hopefully will be elevated and, and have a moment to shine. I think that um, in Australia, there's been some uncertainty for a number of years where the industry has been asking for clarity on how do custody rules apply to crypto? Um, And it's been hard for industry to get that clarity in Australia. So, um, you know, even if there are banks who see that opportunity, and I I know that they do because I talk to them, it is going to be uh, challenging for them to offer custody again without that policy framework in place. It's hard to get insurance. It's hard to get banking. It's hard to have... Um, you know, the basic business infrastructure that's required to provide any any service in this sector. So we do need to uh, ultimately make sure that we're putting forward, um, I think, policy proposals proactively, because if we allow the government to uh, to do it and then the industry is in a reactive position, that's when I think yeah. we end up in that risky world that we talked about where um, through a sense of urgency, government ends up, um, I think, regulating in a way that yeah. um that actually doesn't get that balance right yeah we've seen that with the royal commission right where you know yeah. they've made it now almost impossible for anybody to provide affordable financial advice to the very people that need it right it's kind of crazy mm-hmm. um one of the things that i wanted to chat with you about as well which i think has been the thing that um probably disturbed me the most and upset me the most has been the reaction of the kind of crypto bro culture within this industry, which um, when you, you you read and you hear and you see some of the things that have gone down in this last week, you kind of ask yourself, you know, and really question, like, what am I doing investing time and energy into this space when there seem to be so many people who just have these, you know, misogynistic, and you know, it's almost like dealing with fascists, right? In, in many respects. What what's been your kind of take on the responses that we've seen this last week, and and what do you think we need to do to flush this out of the industry? There's been a real mixed reaction from the community this week, and 
what I've observed at a grassroots level is a lot of fear-driven behaviour and lashing out. I think people feel disempowered at the moment. The man in the industry who purported to represent them in Congress has turned out to be one of the biggest frauds in the history of the sector, if not the biggest. And so that that fear and, and I guess, um, uncertainty about what this means for them has caused them to behave at their worst and, and quite poorly. And, um, you know, that kind of sexist and anti-Semitic um, commentary and personal attacks and things that have been going on have been really stressful and upsetting to see. I think um, on the other hand as well, you know, these times of crisis really show um, who are the true leaders in the space. And so you look across the industry and what you see is that there are cool heads. There is a lot of determination for people to want to provide um, a path forward, provide frameworks and mental models for people to consider um, and provide constructive suggestions about what can be done, what action can be taken. And so I think that there are a lot of good role models around um, in terms of how can we cooperate? How can we work together? How can we look to the future? Um, You know, I think as we discussed at the start, it's going to take some time for people to go through that grieving cycle um, of emotions that they need to flush out of their system. But it is really disappointing to see that some people are letting that fear and anger get to them and cause them to act in the worst of ways. We've talked before about there being this sense in the industry that there is a, a culture of crypto bros. Um, and a lot of this I see as being, you know, connected to internet culture and Twitter culture where people, um, not even necessarily anons, but just people online, um, they get behind a keyboard and, and something about that yeah. makes them want to lash out and be so rude. Um, so I think that, you know, the only the only way to really respond is just to not give any airtime or voice to those people who are destructive to the culture, elevate the voices that are modeling best practice and and good values. Um, I I think, you know, for myself and how I've reflected on this in the past week, I've tried to be um, a part of the the conversation in a way of saying, um, reflecting what the community is feeling, but also pointing to what my priorities are in response. Um, And I've, I've gotten mostly good feedback on that, but also some um, some misunderstanding and anger from, again, some of those people who are acting out of fear. So, you know, you've got to just focus on the people who are constructive. Um, and over time, I think the culture of the industry will change. To be honest, one of the things that I think is going on in the community is that a lot of these grassroots people and some, you know, founders as well who are OGs or OG investors may be feeling that the the culture of the space has already changed so much from what they knew and what it used to be to them that they may feel a little bit resentful um, that it has become so diverse mm. um, and that there are now institutions involved and there are now, you know, all these other yeah. types of groups involved and they don't recognise the culture compared to what it used to yeah. be. Um, but I think for, for people working in such a fast-moving space, um, we're going to have to accept that it's going to continue to change a lot. We are going to see things become more boring. We are going to see things become more tradfi. We are going to see more compliance. And that may not, not sound as fun or exciting as, you know, speculating on on crazy meme coins, um, you know, but that is the direction that that is necessitated by growth and maturity yeah. of the sector. And so, you know, I think people need to get up to speed with the fact that um, this is not just a Reddit forum anymore. This is an, yeah. an industry um, and people need to decide what, how they want to operate and be seen in that space. Yeah. Um, going back to Singapore, I think when we, when we did the blockchain news segment, I think I joked about there being no hoodies um, at, the, at the conference, 60-odd thousand people there. Um, but you did very much get the sense that there wasn't you know, crypto bros. You know, we didn't have the stands where the, you know, the money flicker and, you know, the Lamborghini there and, you know, everybody in the girls in their swimsuits parading around. Um, Very, very different, you know, culture, very, very different kind of mindset. And I think that's kind of where the real business is being done. You know, the the stuff with substance, right? The actually building the infrastructure, you know, that's where I think the the kind of, you know, I got the sense that there were true builders there, you know, whereas these other events tends to just be, you know, people debating you know, and sharing their opinions on where, where they think it's going to go and these kind of wild claims. 
do you think, you know, and I don't want to name any names, but, you know, Twitter's a great example of where people are just obsessed about posting their hypotheses on, you know, what the economic future is going to look like and, you know, the, the world's going to run on Bitcoin or whether it's going to be worth X in 2025. I think that's been the thing that's really disturbed me is that despite the crash and people clearly, you know, some people clearly losing everything, you've still got others on there who are trying to pump up the price of tokens that they're invested in. <laughs> They've got a vested interest. Kind of where do you think you know, regulation needs to come there? Because my my sense is, you know, the people that I speak to within the industry, particularly in Australia, I think, you know, the, and especially the exchanges want more regulation. You know, there's one or two where I think I've seen some kind of crazy stuff, like I'll not name who it was, but on my birthday, I get an email saying today's a great day to buy crypto, right? My birthday, wow, how's that, right? Like, So how do you think we kind of regulate this? You know, what I think is the marketing and the advertising stuff, which financial services, you know, they, they, they do a really good job of regulating that where you have to have from a product perspective and a marketing perspective and advertising perspective, you can only use certain words. You can't make claims. We've got none of that in in the crypto industry. How do you do you think it's more of a case of that's the thing that needs to be regulated first, and then we can kind of start to focus around some of the more complex stuff? In my observation, the jurisdictions that have done better on this are jurisdictions that have actually developed um, crypto industry policy, and I think there's been a resistance to doing that in Australia because. There is a huge commitment to this idea of technology neutrality, which says, well, we just need to figure out what's a financial product and not, and what is not. And then we'll know what gets regulated under the Corpse Act and what gets regulated under the Consumer Act. Um, however, that leaves a huge amount of uncertainty um, for all the supply chain of um, issuers and distributors and infrastructure providers to go, okay, well, that's great. But if you government are not going to tell us which falls over the right and left side of the line, um, then we don't really know what licenses we are eligible for if, um, if, if we should be applying for them at all um, and, and what does this all look like and what about the specific features of the industry where you can't really be technology neutral. Um, and, and custody, again, is, is sort of an example of that where you need crypto-native regulation. Um, and so I think that, uh, you know, governments are going to have to make some decisions about um you know, actually whether they need to create some bespoke legislation. And I think to um, Senator Andrew Bragg's credit, you know, he has proposed this idea of there being an act for the industry. Um, you know, I think sometimes speaking bluntly, you know, policymakers need to get off their high horse for a second. Yeah. You know, we love in the policy community to talk about these principles and these frameworks and things like that. Um, but, you know, and enough years have passed yeah. now with such little progress on mitigating any of these risks, I think it's time to really start to get a bit action-oriented, not in that urgent sense of the sledgehammer, but, you know, really actually start starting to be a little bit creative and thinking about what are the policy levers, um, you know, and what's kind of a, sens a sensible, pragmatic way of approaching this. I think there's a little bit of a, you know, ivory towerism going on in, in some jurisdictions where, you know, people are kind of reluctant to... Uh, look at creative policy development, or they simply are not informed enough or don't feel informed enough to look at crypto native regulation. So, um, you know, there have been some crackdowns on influencers, crackdowns on marketing, solicitation, those sorts of things. But, um, you know, it, 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 it does depend on the jurisdiction. And so, um, you know, that, that's kind of the challenge that I would put to policymakers. Yeah. When you, you look, because, you, you know, you've got a, a bit of a global view, um, which government would you say or which country do you think is, is kind of leading the way around policy and regulation of blockchain technology and, and crypto? So, uh, yeah, I do, I do operate globally. And um, I think, you know, on this issue of kind of marketing, um, you know, it's been a big topic of interest in Singapore and in the UK in terms of, um, you know, having a fully fledged out, um, you know, framework. I think the EU has, um, has, undergone a lot of effort to get MICA passed through Parliament and it's not a perfect system, but I think it provides a lot more clarity, um, you know, than in a jurisdiction like um, Australia or the US. 
Um, I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of work going on in the, in the Middle East. Pretty much every jurisdiction in the Gulf is doing something in this space. Um, you know, the, in the U.S., there's been some highlights in, in a few select states um, that have kind of specialised in different areas of policy, but there's no comprehensive framework and there's no uh, federal clarity um, across across the supply chain. So, you know, the, that's kind of the the summary overview. Um, some Asian jurisdictions as well, they had regimes set up a number of years ago. So, you know, everyone's kind of moved at a different speed. I think that um, it's going to be really important for regulators to cooperate. Um, it's going to be quite a tangled web with all the different policy responses and priorities that different jurisdictions have had. Um, you know, but the priorities, in my view, really need to be looking at these issues of um, of transparency, on-chain governance, custody, um, and and those issues as well around rehypothecation and, and dealing mm. of, of capital and, and collateral as well. Do you think then perhaps this FTX event could be the catalyst that does bring countries together and regulators together to actually start to really kind of flesh out these issues together rather than in separate jurisdictions? Because I think one of the, the things that really struck me about FTX is people were impacted globally, but not necessarily in the US because it is domicile yeah. in the Bahamas. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I think this is going to increase um, cooperation between regulators and regulators are going to have those information sharing agreements. In terms of international global level cooperation, um, multilateralism in traditional finance has been extended to the crypto asset sector, in, again, in some select cases. So we see the BIS has done some work on Prudential. We see the IMF has done some work. And, um, you know, there are bodies like the OECD who do take a global view um, and do some, I think the OECD does quite good work in this space. Um, it's very hard to coordinate globally. Um, but, you know, I suppose that whether FTX does help to prioritise this industry, um, you know, I certainly hope so. But again, um, we need to make sure that the industry is right there alongside them, making sure that they're feeding into the process. And I think with some of these international bodies, there's been some criticism that um, they've been accused of only doing um, tokenistic consultation with industry as sort of a ticker box exercise and not really genuinely taking the time to get skilled up. Um, Australia's invested a lot more in its resources in a public sector sense um, following the Senate inquiry. And that Senate inquiry process, I think, was quite an important and influential one. But, you know, we do have a new government in Australia now, um, so we also need to get a better sense um, from an Australia-specific point of view of, you know, what the government's plans are. The government has continued on with some of the work that was already underway at the time of the election, um, but we haven't really seen any public communications from the government on how they're mm. going to prioritise that. Um, previous Treasurer Josh Frydenberg had very clear timelines that he had set out with milestones for different sub-priorities. And so it would be great if we could see something like that come from the, the now Labor government um, so that the industry could get organised yeah. and plan. This is a fairly resource-constrained space um, despite appearances on social media. And so, you know, it's important to make sure that um, the industry has that opportunity mm. to, to feed into whatever happens next. Yeah. If we kind of take the, you know, the crypto element out of it and you look at actually the use cases and the utility, um, I mean, it's, it, it just, it, I just can't understand how governments aren't putting everything into it, right? When you think about the amount of money that is locked up just in global trade, right? You look at the systems that banks are using. They're still using green screen MS-DOS, right? Computers for trade finance. And you're talking about trillions and trillions of dollars that's locked up every month. It's taken four months to kind of get things moving. I just can't understand, right? Like why this is not a priority. And yet, you know, the talk is about, you know, and I guess, look, the question to you is, do you think that the problems are ones that the industry has created itself, itself, right? The kind of perception of, you know, crypto bro culture, you know, the speculative nature of it is that the, the kind of innovation piece and the utility is just being lost, right? And it kind of, 
you know, I see all these comments on LinkedIn and people who aren't really involved in this space have got strong opinions about how there's no utility. Mm. You and I know, right? Yeah. We, we, we see it, right? They, every single day we see the things that are being built. We see the problems that are being solved, right, on a, on a big scale. There's huge utility there. How do we kind of change the conversation from token price and meme coins to actually solving big world problems? I will say um, there are some pockets of government where um, this potential is recognised. The Australian Border Force has done some really cool stuff on blockchain with international trade. IP Australia has done some great work on traceability. Um, CSIRO has got good talent and um, they funded a startup in Australia that... um, was used in the agricultural, horticultural industry um, and actually helped to prevent um, theft, brand theft by um, Chinese scammers um, for a Tasmanian farmer. But that's just one anecdote from so many examples across the agricultural sector. Um, The Department of Industry also funded some work in critical minerals. Um, And so, you know, there's plenty of use cases. I think, you know, the things that excite me personally are, you know, looking at the Optus uh, data hack that happened recently. And now there's also Medibank as well. Uh, You're talking to a victim of Medibank here, right? (laughs) (laughs) Why aren't we using technology like digital uh, zero knowledge proofs and and distributed um, identity solutions? There are international standards under W3C. There are people building this stuff. Um, at a state level, New South Wales government is doing some really interesting work that they've just announced on this. Um, and and we see that in the non-government sector as well. Um, you know, Red Cross has done interesting work. We could talk on and yeah. on and on about all these kinds of case studies. Um, and they they cross across they cut across finance and um and lots of different industries. So I think that, you know, these stories don't get elevated because they're not as interesting in the sense that, um, you know, I think people are very attracted to financial use cases and a lot of the financial use cases are um, speculative, which makes them exciting. There's an aspect of gambling to them. There's also a lot of humor and meme energy that kind of goes into them. They have, um, you know, viral cultures that you just don't see um, in, you know, horticulture. It's really not the same group of people that 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 Mm. appeals to. So, a lot of the airtime then and how media responds and how, um, you know, government responds is it, it, it kind of follows where the noise yeah. is. So, you know, I think we do as an industry need to get better at telling these stories, um, you know, and tying them to things that are relevant. You know, we need to talk about um, examples like Optus and Medibank yeah. to show people what's the relevance of the technology to their yeah. lives. What does it mean for everyday ordinary people who may not give a crap about Ethereum, but, you know, maybe they do care about their identity being stolen. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think that it is a challenge and something that um, it, it comes down to groups like Blockchain Australia. It comes down to community um, self-organized groups as well that have been popping up in the last 12 months. Um, I think that, um, you know, the way that we put together um, events and media and things like that, um, you know, it's, some, it's something that we can be yeah. mindful of going yeah. forward. And look, you know, I, I think I talked about this when we were in Singapore before all of this happened. And it was like, you know, I'm yourself, you know, and Brady and like people just not getting a voice and not getting a platform. And you got, you know, morons who are just taking up all the oxygen in the room. And they are morons because we've seen the stuff that they do, right? Like, and what it results in. And I think now is the time, right, that I, I agree with you. It has to be people like yourself, people that are building things, people that are solving real problems, problems that the world has, right? And I think the more, the quicker that we can move on from what's happened at FTX, the quicker we can kind of try and get some semblance of order around this kind of highly speculative kind of bubbles that keep getting created and actually somehow figure out a way, how do we actually fund these businesses that are actually solving real problems? Do you think the amount of money that's gone into tokens, right, and how that could have been utilized by these businesses and the problems that could be solved? And it, it just, it, I kind of feel a, 
deep level of shame that I've been involved in some of this speculative nature, right? When we could have been, you know, I could have been putting the money to actually investing in companies. And I think that's one of the other issues is that, you know, how do these companies get a platform and how do they get access to funding and how does the public, you know, people that are interested in this stuff and passionate about it get involved as well. And I think that's kind of, you know, the, the, the thing that I'm, I'm hoping we see come out of this is, there, there are some really good, cool things that I think have come from the model we've seen from a crowdfunding perspective, the power of this. I mean, it's phenomenal, right? But imagine if we put that to use around technology that's solving you know, potential supply chain issues around grain, right? Rather than a meme coin of a dog. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, that's, that, 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 there's so much, there's so much power in this, this space and, and, opportunity that's just going to waste right now? Um, I think that, you know, it, it, in terms of looking at the bright side of this, right, um, VCs are still investing. Founders are still building. Um, institutions have a very long-term perspective on, on their plans in this space. Um, I think there'll be a lot of lessons that will be learned coming out of what has happened here. Um, it is going to take some time for the dust to settle, um, you know, but for people who are really committed to the space and really get it, um, you know, I think these experiences, uh, you know, they, they do give people perspective. And so this is a time to think clearly um, and, you know, hopefully we'll all come out of it strong. Mm. Well, Chloe, thanks for joining me on this very first episode of Blockchain Chatter. You've been an awesome guest as always. Um, where can people find out more about Genesis Block? Um, I'm across LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is at Chloe White Oz. Oz is AUS. Um, feel free to, to reach out. I've got a website, genesisblock.com.au, where you can also submit um, a, a request or, or send a note to me or something like that. Cool. So, um, you know, it's been, it's been a, a difficult week, Dexter, but it's always good to see you. And I hope that the next time that we meet, it will be in happier circumstances. Yeah, yeah. me too, me too. And you can connect with me on LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to give us a like and subscribe. And if you prefer listening, you can check out the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Until the next episode, stay safe. Blockchain Chatter is brought to you by Tier 1 People, leaders in fintech executive search. You can reach us at tier1people.com. <laughs>